The reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes 12, verses 9 to 14. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the soul and the body. Now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Welcome, whether you're here or at home. Uh, one of the uh, fascinating things about uh, changing churches every eight, ten years, whatever it is, is that uh, you get farewells and people say things about you. And uh, when I left my last church, there were about four people in the auditorium saying goodbye to me. Um, I don't think that was an indication of how much they liked me. Um, but anyway, uh, the chair of elders said, um, you've taught us a new word, you've expanded our vocabulary, and one of the words that you've taught us is the word complexify. Um, and uh, it means, here's a dic- dictionary definition, to make or become complex. Uh, and uh, apparently I have a spiritual gift in complexifying things. Now you might be thinking to yourself, my goodness, what a phenomenator start. Life is complex enough, we don't need somebody who's going to make them even more complex. Um, and part of me wants to say amen to that. Another part of me wants to say, actually life is complex and that's the point. And I think at times our dilemma is that we have a simplistic understanding of things and therefore the solution doesn't quite fit the complexity of the dilemma that we face. And it's helpful to actually, in some moments, appreciate the complexity of the challenge that faces. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes has done. Um, But I want to give you some hope and here's um, perhaps my favourite quote. It's by some American judge from a couple of hundred years ago who you or I have never heard of. But I love his quote, I would not give a fig for the simplicity this side of complexity, but I would give my life for the simplicity on the other side of complexity. I hope I'm able to offer you that this morning. Um, A post-simplistic post-complex, but a new simple understanding about uh, life under the sun. Uh, And part of what has made this book and this series complex is actually trying to interpret that word meaninglessness, right? Everything is meaningless. And uh, we heard the first week that the Hebrew word is chebel, 
And what does that word mean? And literally it means breath or vapour, but it has quite a range. And as we launched into the series, we were kind of moved in the direction of the English NIV translation, meaningless, everything is meaningless, and it, it, it heads us towards everything is kind of pointless, it's futile, or as the King James used to put it, it's vanity. Uh, in vain we try and make sense or make shape of life, life just is, and to try and change it is pointless, right? That, that's where we sort of begun the book. There's these endless seasons and cycles and they just are. But as we move through the book, we saw that perhaps another dimension to that word meaningless is that life is an enigma. Like the uh, Nazi uh, coding machine, um, its messages are impenetrable. You can't understand it, you can't fathom it, right? And so we have this range what does this word meaningless, if everything is meaningless, what, what does this word chebel actually mean? And so uh, we have two extremes. Is it this sense of pointlessness or is it this sense of being enigmatic? And there are some, Derek Kidner for instance, uh, who's a commentator, who says, well, it means both. It means all of the above. Um, and so everything in life is meaningless. Here's a quote uh, in the conclusion of Kidner's commentary, and he writes this, So far, all our paths have come to nothing. They have lost themselves long before we could get within reach of anything eternal and absolute. And so that's one take on the teacher, on the message of uh, the bulk of the book of Ecclesiastes. But I introduced you last week to the idea that actually there are different commentators who have a different conclusion about the teacher and his message. And Bartholomew is an example of that. And to uh, use my words, not his, in response to Kidner's view, Bartholomew would say something like this. He would say, sure, some paths have come to nothing. But under the sun, we can say a number of things. We can say that some things are better than other things. We haven't reached anything eternal or absolute. He wants to agree with Kidna. But as creatures who are conscious that there is a creator whose fingerprints are all over creation, life has some contours that we can begin to fathom. Does that kind of make sense? They're different conclusions about the message of the teacher. Bartholomew and Kidna uh, land in different spaces. And if I could put that back in terms of my diagram, Kidna wants to say, yes, everything is pointless and enigmatic, and both are true. Um, but Bartholomew wants to say, yes, I want to concur that life is enigmatic, that we can't understand it, we can't fathom it, but he was onto something. It's not accurate to say, next slide, that life is completely pointless or futile. Sorry, we're a couple of slides, we're one slide back. Um, that life is uh, totally meaningless. There are some things that we can begin to understand. 
there are some things that we can be sure about. So, for instance, we can say that wisdom is better than folly, that friends are better than isolation, that contentment is better than wealth, that a good name is better than possessions, that contemplation is better than merriment. Or, uh, again, last week, that to have seven or eight ventures is better than to have one. Because if you've got all your eggs in one basket, it might fail. Or if you have no eggs in any basket, well, you're not, definitely not going to get anywhere there. You do have to, at some point, cast your bread upon the waters. Does that kind of make sense? So um, Bartholomew's take on the teacher is that life is enigmatic, but it isn't completely pointless or futile, that actually we can say some things. All right, so we're coming now to the editor's comments about the teacher. Remember, there are two authors in this book. Uh, for the most part, we have listened to the teacher who is trying to explain life under the sun. And now we get the postscript from the editor. And here's what we need to be listening for, if we can just have today's dilemma in mind. And that is this. Is the editor going to say about the teacher that everything he said was meaningless, that it was all pointless, that it was all gobbledygook, that it was like a meandering and, and he managed to get himself lost and he was totally bamboozled and that's helpful for us because if we want to try follow him, we're just going to get lost as well. That, that it's pointless, right? That, that, so let's not go up the same garden path he did. Let's simply acknowledge that life is difficult and we just need to obey God and that's the point to life, right? That would be the conclusion of Kidnay. Is, is that where the editor is going to point us? Or is the editor going to say something a little bit more like, yeah, life is complex and the uh, teacher complexified life for us but in the end, actually, he had some clues. He was kind of going somewhere. And there are some things we can say about life under the sun before the editor makes a concluding remark about life as God reveals the purpose of life. Things we can't know other than by a speaking God uh, who speaks through his word. So let's pick it up at uh, verse 9. And this is what the editor says. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. They're pretty affirming words, aren't they? The editor seems to be saying some quite positive things about the conclusions of the teacher. The teacher is wise. The teacher imparted knowledge. Doesn't sound like he fumbled around in the dark and isn't it good that we're not going to make the same mistakes he made. Um, and note there that he said that the teacher imparted proverbs. Now that's a particular word and it brings us back to the book of Proverbs. And remember that the editor of the book of Proverbs is attributed to Solomon. And verse 1 of chapter 1 of um, uh, Ecclesiastes introduces us to the author as uh, the teacher, the son of David and the king of Israel. 
and, and it sounds again like Solomon. So what the editor here is doing is he is saying that these words are proverbs. They are canonical. They belong in the Bible. They have the status of proverbs of Scripture. Right? This is beyond just, you know, he had a few sort of helpful things to say, but mostly he was fumbling around in the dark. No, no, these were proverbs, and they were upright and true. So the editor is saying, hey, there's a lot to learn from what the teacher had to say. And to put the pieces of the puzzle together, before the editor says, this is what God reveals about how to live life uh, in his word, the editor is saying that the teacher has arrived at some useful conclusions about how as creatures we live in God's creation under the sun. You can discern some things from nature. Uh, Paul puts it like this in Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood not from the Bible, but from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Even from nature, you can understand something about the Creator and how to live as a creature in a Creator's universe. That is possible. Now, you can't understand everything and you can't understand lots. There's plenty you can't understand. And God reveals more in His Word. But you can understand some things. That's where... The conclusion of the editor seems to be taking us. Well, uh, let's read on. Verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Three things there we ought to touch base on. They're like goads. What's a goad? It's kind of like, you know, a cattle prod. It prompts you in the right direction. That's what wise words do. You know, head down that path. Stay away from that path. That's just going to lead nowhere or worse into trouble. Think about things in this way rather than that way. Right? That's what wisdom does. It gives you some tips and some clues. Um, but it's wisdom that is like a firmly embedded nail. How is wisdom like a nail? Why doesn't he say wisdom is like a foundation stone or it's like an anchor or it's like a mooring? It's this really firm, secure thing. He doesn't say that. Nor does he say the sayings of the wise are like chaff. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow and they're flippant and they're lighthearted and they can just be blown up. He says something somewhere in between the two. And I think that's really insightful, that's really helpful. That wisdom helps us and it's sort of got something a bit substantial to it, like a nail in a wall, but it's not as foundational as a stone or an anchor or a mooring. And that's how wisdom kind of works, doesn't it? You turn to it and, and sometimes you discover it's got some sort of a, a, a grip or a hold or it's a, 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 
a place you can mark and get some sort of stability from, but other times it's just not strong enough and it doesn't quite deliver as much as what you'd like it to. That's sort of how wisdom works. And the wisdom is given by one shepherd. And that's clearly an indication to God who is the good shepherd, to uh, Jesus in the New Testament terms, who calls himself uh, the good shepherd and the sheep know his voice. And so, again, we're getting a picture here that wisdom is a positive thing. Wisdom prompts us to go in the right direction and prompts us to stay away from the wrong direction. Wisdom gives us something firm-ish, but not as substantial as what we might want. It's not certain, um, because after all, life remains enigmatic. Um, and it's given by somebody who loves us and who wants the best for us and whose crook and whose staff direct us. That's what wisdom is. You think, oh, okay, that's pretty positive. Wisdom turns out to be pretty good. Well, let's read verse 12. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of the making of many books. There is no end, and much study wearies the body. Well, some wisdom is good, but more wisdom is bad. It actually ends up wearying the soul. So the answer is not to look and look and look further. There comes a point where you've actually got to do something, where you've got to cast your bread upon the waters. And remember I said that Ecclesiastes is a practical book. right? It's actually in being in season. It's going out and... Uh, doing a hard day's work and having um, the contentment of a labourer who has achieved something and there's some sweet sleep after a day like that. Go out and plant something and get your hands dirty and get some soil under your fingernails and care for somebody and do something practical. And those kind of simple answers and activities bring some degree of meaning and happiness to life, right? Some joy. Uh, it's uh, too much wisdom wearies the body. Uh, and now we get to, uh, if you like, the uh, final conclusion of the, te- of the editor. And he says this, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now, I don't want you to think, oh, okay, I know what that verse is saying. I think the mistake that we can make is that we quickly glance over that and we say, oh, I know what he's saying. He's saying, um, obey God because you're going to be judged. And he is saying that, but more. The first point is, fear God and keep his commandments. And the obedience which comes happens in the context of a fearing of God, of a recognition that God is the creator and we are the created, that there is something amazing and inspiring and we ought to be struck by awe and we ought to be humble as we come into God's presence. And because God is 
great. God is infinite and we are finite. God is creator and we are created. Because of that dynamic in the relationship, right, then we ought to trust God. And it's trusting and obeying. That, that is where the obedience turns up. Does that make sense? And so you're called to entrust yourself to God like a, uh, a sheep does to a shepherd, believing that the good shepherd is going to lead you to green pastures, that God knows best, that his ways are wisest, and that a life lived in obedience and within the parameters that he sets is most likely to be the safe and the, the blessed and the prosperous life, right? Uh, and, and as I kind of put those two words together, trust and obey, I'm guessing for many of you a hymn comes to mind. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, all who will trust and obey. And with all who will trust and obey. And that's helpful advice, right? That whether you're listening to God as he speaks under the sun or whether he speaks through his word, the proper response is to entrust yourself to God and then to be obedient to the parameters in which he dictates life is to be lived. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy. Now, it's quite fashionable amongst uh, evangelical preachers like me to uh, criticise Hillsong songs, um, and at times that's appropriate, and at times it's appropriate to criticise hymns. And so I'm going to be balanced, and I'm now going to critique the next verse of the hymn. Not a shadow can rise, nor a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Is that your experience of life? That when you trust and obey God, God simply needs to smile and everything is dandy again? That's not mine. And that's not the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is more complex than if you just obey, things go well. It's not that simple. And there are seasons where things are difficult and there are seasons where things are a challenge and where you look around and you are frustrated because the evil are receiving what the righteous deserve and the cheats are winning the races and the fat and the lazy are inheriting the wealth and you think, this is not right. And life is just like that sometimes, right? But you still have to entrust yourself to God in those seasons. And yes, there is a sense of judgment and reward and accountability for our actions, how it is that we kind of live life under the sun. So, let's summarise the conclusion of the editor as he reflects on, firstly, the teacher and then on Scripture. And he says, yes, we can affirm the conclusions of the teacher. Uh, life is enigmatic but there are some things we can discern. Wisdom prompts us in more helpful directions, but there are limits around the helpfulness of wisdom. Too much of it wearies the body. And the God who is creator is also a speaking God. And when he speaks, there is more clarity 
and an amplification of our responsibilities and our duties, and it becomes the standard by which we will be judged. Well, uh, that's the conclusion, <clears throat> and I think there's one question I want to deal with. In fact, somebody said to me last week after question time, um, I had a question and I didn't ask it, um, and they asked me privately, and it was a great question, and I'm now going to repeat the essence of that question. And they said something like this, this has been a fascinating book, but given that as New Testament Christians, we have the Bible, and God speaks clearly through the Bible, and we have the cross, and we live on the other side of the cross, and Jesus has defeated evil, and he's going to come back, is, is life different than what the teacher pontificates about? Do we have more certainty than what seems possible in Ecclesiastes? Fascinating question, isn't it? And uh, you might want to go to some scriptures like this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture does reveal whatever it is we need to know so that we are thoroughly equipped to be ambassadors of the kingdom. And uh, we also could go to passages like Revelation 21 and we can be certain that Jesus will return and that we will dwell with him on the new heaven and the new earth, that sin and evil will be banished, that all tears and weeping will uh, cease um, and that we will enjoy a perfect relationship with God, with each other and with the created order again. That's a degree of certainty that doesn't seem to be on offer in the book of Ecclesiastes. So what's been the point of all this fuddling around in this series, you might want to say? Well, yes, we could go to those passages and those truths are true. But let me also reflect briefly on 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter about love. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In other words, what Paul is saying is that life under the sun, to use an Ecclesiastes phrase, is life where we only know in part, where we don't know in full. It's life where we see life through a bit of polished brass which acts as a first century mirror. And, and we can see some things, but there's a lack of clarity. Some things are kind of vague and, and conspicuous and not as clear as what we might like. And that remains the case for Paul, the New Testament Christian, post the resurrection and post the coming of the Holy Spirit. Even in that stage of Christian history, not everything is fully known and clear. And so we can say that the Bible affirms, yes, we are finite and we are mortal and we cannot know everything and this life is a life lived under those restrictions and yet at the same time, we know enough to be responsible and to be equipped for the good works that we've been called to do. And so we have this 
this dilemma. And that's precisely the dilemma that is explored in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's why we've been studying this book at this time. Because when you live life under the sun, then there are seasons when things don't add up. There are seasons where things seem unfair. Where even if you've read your Bible at night, as you go to sleep, you are just thinking, that's not right, and I'm angry about this, and I'm worried about this, and I'm hurt by this, and those are the things that consume your mind. And, and perhaps you do open Scripture, and you're trying to read the Bible and pray, and then your mind just drifts to those other things, right? Um, th that, that is life under the sun, isn't it? And what the teacher does for us is that he says, even if we bracket out a God who speaks clearly through Scripture, we can still discern that there is something about life that we can know that the Creator has left in the fabric of His creation. Yes, it's enigmatic. Yes, it's incomprehensible. Yes, it's unfair and... It's uh, fuel that makes us angry and bitter. And, and even though we have those seasons, we can say more. We can say, and yes, somehow there are some remnants of the Creator's truths and generosity that are left in creation. And we can align ourselves with that style of living. And at times, that is better. And we experience the benefits of that. At other times we don't. But it's still the way that we ought to live. That is still the wisest path. And we better cast our bread upon the waters and try to do it again. Let me wrap up this series with um, an illustration. I have a, a game on my tablet. I don't play it very often. Perhaps you know the game. It's called Bridge Builder. And it's, it's sort of an engineering type of a game, right? So you've got a point um, on one side and you've got a point on the other side and you have to build a bridge between those two points. Uh, you have to move forward somehow. And uh, you get some resources, right? You've got timber and if you've unlocked it, you've got steel um, or you've got uh, rope. Um, or you've got some kind of uh, concrete footings that you can build. Um, and you've got a certain amount of money. You've got a budget, right? This game wasn't invented by public servants. And um, you need to build the bridge under budget, and if you don't, you lose, right? And so you build the bridge, but you build it by trial and error. So you make this nice little structure, and it looks good, and then you push play, and a truck drives over the bridge... And maybe your bridge is not that strong and the truck <laughs> crashes into uh, the ravine and who knows what happens to the driver. And I think that's kind of what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. Life is lived often by trial and error. The proper way to build bridges is to go to an engineer and do all the testing on a computer and make sure the bridge is safe before you walk across it. But life under the sun is more enigmatic than that. And even with 
scripture life is still more enigmatic than that it feels like trial and error as we follow some biblical principles but we parent this way and we discipline this way and we work this way and we do the work-life balance thing that way and it kind of works and it kind of doesn't and it's frustrating and we get hurt and we have seasons where it is working and sometimes somebody drives over the bridge and the bridge collapses and sometimes it holds up and you make it to the other side. Does that feel like your life? And that's what Ecclesiastes explores to us. And it gives us two bits of advice. Yeah, sometimes the bridge falls and people get hurt. But you know what? There are some patterns in God's creation. And follow those. That's the best you've got. They're not as certain and they're not under your control. But there is something there. Follow that and obey God. And whether or not you are blessed completely as you would wish in this life, you will be in eternity. And Jesus does win and will return and will wipe away all weeping and gnashing. And we can be certain and sure about that. Let me pray for us. Lord, we've been working through this book in a season. It's a season of... Um, uncertainty and we've been reminded that we are less control and that we understand less about our universe than what we'd like to think and as we've been in this season we've walked alongside the teacher as he's been on that journey himself and we ask God again that you will have spoken to each of us in our particular circumstances. That your spirit would take your inspired words and would apply them to each of us, whatever circumstances we happen to find ourselves, whatever seasons we happen to be in, whatever predicaments we happen to be facing. That we will have found some encouragement, some framing uh, that helps us to have the courage to take the next step forward and to follow you, Jesus, wherever it is that you are leading us. Lord, we thank you for your word and for this part of your word and for the journey that you have taken us on. And God, we ask that we might be found to be faithful when we come before you. And Jesus, we ask that you would return and make all things new. In your name we pray. Amen.